Hi, this is Lori. And this is Rachel. Welcome to Tales, Tales from, from the Rock Side. Today's subject was born on September 7th, 1936, named Charles Hardin Holly, but was nicknamed Buddy. Aw, Buddy Holly. Buddy Holly. Aww. Do you know a lot about Buddy Holly? I know what he looks like. I know some of his music. I don't know a lot about it. I mean, I know, like, his death and shit like that. Okay. I could draw you a photo of him. It's that thing. <laughs> in case you aren't, in case anybody's like, what, what are you talking about? Uh, I do artwork. So it's that thing where it's like, I can draw you a photo of him, but I couldn't tell you that much about him. You know? He's got a very distinctive look. Hopefully after today you can tell people all sorts of things oh, about him. I'm going to only talk about Buddy Holly all day. Which is going to be weird because we've got stuff to do later. It will be. And I'll be with you and I'll be like, I know, Rachel, I wrote the damn thing. <laughs> it's going to be really weird because we're seeing Katya Zemelogikova tonight. So I'm only going to talk to her about Buddy Holly. Zemelogikova, Rachel. I'm sorry. Russian is not my first language or second language. Or any language. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty far down the list for me. Mm -hmm. Okay, Buddy Holly was born in Lubbock, Texas, to a musical family during the Great Depression. And he learned to play guitar and sing alongside his siblings. Aww. At 11, he started taking piano lessons, but he kind of changed to guitar pretty quickly. Yeah, who likes piano? Yeah, well, you know, for a young kid, too, you want to be a little cooler than the piano. So Yeah, pianos aren't cool. Yeah. Sorry. To offend everybody who plays piano. <laughs> you, just, you also can't lug them around, which is a nice thing about guitar. Yeah, that's true. Um, he started performing with Ooh. some friends in high school. Keytar. They didn't have the keytar then. This is like 1950. Yeah, when did the keytar... Can we do a keytar episode? Is that... Maybe. We'll talk about that later. Sorry. I think that's going to be pretty far down the list. But, uh, you was, know... Do you know when the keytar was invented? I don't know. We'll get to cool. that episode around 2027. <laughs> Um, during his early childhood, Buddy was influenced in country music. Um, he really liked Hank Williams and Jimmy Rogers and the Carter family. He started playing with Sonny Curtis and Jerry Allison, who, or it might be Allison, who were fellow musicians at his high school. Was his first name actually Sonny? I don't know. I don't have that information. I love, I love that as a name. I think it's really cute. Sonny? Yeah. Although you can't really have a kid named Sonny without thinking Cher too so no but Cher, but Sonny's first name I think was Salvatore I don't like the name Salvatore I'm sorry I didn't sorry Sonny but I don't know uh Buddy and Sonny would hang out at night and they'd listen to the R&B music on the distant radio stations the ones that would come in later at night mm, when the mm -hmm. local ones were lost their signal and uh he really started bringing the R&B sound into that his country music and started making a blending after, by 1955, when he graduated from Lubbock High School, he decided to pursue a full-time career in music. Sweet. In February, he got an opportunity to open up for Elvis Presley, and that really made him be like, yeah, I can do this. This can be a living for me. Yeah. So he was booked to open for Bill Haley and the Comets, and he his demo tape got sent to Decca Records, who signed them in February 1956. Decca Records. Decca. Oh, Decca. Decca Records. Decca. That's even cuter. And in, on the contract, Decca misspelled his last name. It was initially 
H-O-L-L-E-Y. They misspelled it H-O-L-L-Y. So he just used that for the rest of his life. I mean, stage name's a stage name. You yeah, know? exactly. And that's not super far off. Exactly. You know, I'm going to change my last name to Carr, but yours can stay Karn. <laughs> I'm going to change mine to Carnage. Oh, okay. That's for your our metal band, correct? Yes, yes. That's, uh, yeah, our black metal band. That's totally going to happen. Carnage it's with a K. fake. We're going to corpse paint and... I'm going to play the triangle. Perfect. So anyway, um, his time when he was at DECA, it wasn't a very happy one. He did a handful of sessions, but the producer was doing everything, and mm -hmm. Buddy got frustrated because he didn't have any control over the sound. So they did a couple singles. They didn't really make any impact on the charts. And in, by January 1957, DECA dropped him from the contract. I'm sure Buddy was like, sweet. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Buddy was like, I'm okay with this decision. Yeah. The only problem is, is that they insisted that he could not record the same songs for anybody else. And he couldn't record under the name Buddy Holly. Well, shit. Yeah. So, um, he did, he did meet up with a guy named Norman Petty who had produced and promoted, uh, the song Party Doll. Party Doll? Yeah. By Buddy Knox. What a cute name. Yeah. And they decided to go into the studio, and he had Jerry Allison playing, and he had a bassist named Joe Malden, Malden, sorry. Malden. And a rhythm guitarist named Nikki Sullivan. Malden, a uh, little known fact, creator of The Mall. Just kidding. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> See, you always laugh after my joke. You're supposed to laugh not well. Yeah, I well, guess yeah, I after. had to laugh after the joke. But you took a pause I as if laugh. it was stupid. And well, you know I liked it. Okay, so uh, they went into Norman Petty's studio and they recorded a demo of "That'll Be the Day," which he had previously recorded in Nashville. It went nowhere, but they re-recorded it. Wait, isn't that breaking his? Uh, you know, we'll get oh, there. Okay, we'll get there. So sorry, um, I'm jumping ahead. He, Buddy was now playing lead guitar, and since he had more control in the studio, he got the sound that he was looking for. Um, Norman Petty became his manager, and they sent the record to Brunswick Records in New York City. Be, but because Buddy was still under the contract, he couldn't release it under the name Buddy Holly. Oh. So they came up with a band name. Buddy's Hollies. Well, they started thinking of insect names. I'm not really sure why, but they almost chose the name The Beatles. Hey, but they Jerry Allison suggested the name Crickets, and they liked that name better, so they became <laughs> the critic, the Crickets. I like, I like that they were like the Beatles isn't funny enough. How about Crickets? <laughs> Somebody else in England was like, how about the Beatles? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, that 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 actually inspired the name the Beatles. John oh, Lennon, I didn't know that. John Lennon was very inspired by Buddy Holly. He was hey. a big hero of of John Lennon. Smooth John. Yeah. Huh. So, um, I lost my place here. Sorry. That's okay. Um, so Brunswick Records gave him an agreement to, to release That'll Be the Day, and he got artistic control, and he got financial responsibility for the future recordings. Nice. Get but that artistic control. What also turned out to be kind of a lucky thing that they didn't realize at the time, that Brunswick was actually a subsidiary of DECA. So that legally cleared them to keep to hey. use the name Buddy Holly. So they could stop with the crickets thing that didn't. Or use both of them as Buddy Holly and the crickets. Oh. Uh, yeah. I wish it. W wish I wish it was actual crickets. <laughs> 
Well, their first album was called The Chirping Crickets. Do you like that? That's pretty good. I like that. Yeah. Okay. I like that's that's right up my alley of humor. That's cute. Yeah. That'll Be the Day was released on May 27th, 1957, and it went to number one on Billboard's bestsellers chart, and it went to number two on the Billboard R&B chart. Ooh, congratulations. Yeah. It also went to number one on the UK Billboard chart. Norman Petty then booked Holly and the Crickets for a tour, and one of the stops was at the Apollo Theater. They were the on it was on August twenty oh, sorry August sixteenth through the twenty second August August <laughs> sorry August uh, they were the first white act to play the Apollo yeah that's I thought that yeah I, and I knew a little bit of that yeah the story goes and I'm not sure one hundred percent about this but this the, the the audience when they first saw you know all these guys they were like who the hell is yeah. this I mean they are all like nerdy white boys yes you know? yes and then they started playing and the audience was like oh wow they're really good and. And, you know, got into it after yeah. that. So Cute. Uh, they also appeared on American Bandstand um, on August 26th. That was on ABC, hosted by Dick Clark. Dick Clark. Is he, he still around? No, he passed away a couple years back. Did he? Okay. Yep. yep. Uh, the, his next single was Peggy Sue. I've heard this. Which was backed by Every Day. I've heard that, too. And that was released as a study, solo Buddy Holly song. Solo Buddy Holly song. Yeah, I know. That was a little... That's a weird... That that's, a little, a, that's a little bit of a tongue twister. It was. Solo Buddy Holly song. That's why song. I said Solo, Solo Buddy Holly song. <laughs> uh, Peggy Sue had reached number three on the Billboard's pop charts and number two on the R&B charts. And it peaked at number six on the UK singles charts. I didn't realize he was that big in the UK, too. Yeah. I guess it was just... Yeah. He was very big in, in the UK. Um, they released the album The Chirping Crickets... The, in, that's the cutest yeah, name. November 27, 1957. I'm very much into that name. Then Brunswick released a second single by the Crickets, which was Oh Boy with Not Fade Away on the B-side. And that reached number 10 on the pop charts. Oh, papers. Sorry. <laughs> and they, they performed That'll Be the Day and Peggy Sue on the Ed Sullivan Show. I've, I've seen a yeah. couple episodes of the Ed Sullivan Show. I think I've seen that episode. That was in December of 1957. Yeah, I think I've seen that one. I think you can find it on YouTube. Probably. I think so. Probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, they started some international touring, and they pretty much toured. They were either in the studio or touring all the time. Um, they played in Hawaii, Australia, the United Kingdom. When they returned to the United States, they joined Alan Freed's Big Beat show for uh, 41 dates. Then they went into a the studio with a new guitarist, Tommy Alsup, and recorded It's So Easy and Heartbeat. During a visit to New York, Buddy met Maria Elena Santiago. Pretty name. Yes. Um, she was working for some record company in some kind of clerical capacity, I yeah. believe. Um, he asked her out immediately, and then he proposed marriage to her on their very first date. I don't know if that's cute or creepy. It's a little bit of both. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you knew, you knew, but also like. I'm sorry. Was she, she wasn't like, you know, was she nuts? I don't think so. I think that they just. Connected? They just connected. They knew it was, it was it. I have never connected with somebody that hard. Yeah. You know? I mean, it was a different time too. People got married much younger in in those days too. Yeah, but not on the first date or whatever. It was pretty quick. All right, whatever. Um, Teach their own, I guess. (laughs) 
His manager, Norman Petty, didn't like the marriage, and he told Buddy to keep it secret so that it wouldn't upset female fans. I'm upset. <laughs> I mean, I think it's kind of silly, especially because it's like what? Buddy Holly wasn't like... He's not like, the sex symbol that you... Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, it, that wasn't like part of his image was yeah. to be this, you know... No, he's... Super hunky guy. No, he's just a cute little nerd. Yeah, you know? exactly. Exactly. He's not like pretty boy hot or anything. Um... This had, this was a problem for Buddy. He didn't like to have to keep his marriage a secret, and also I think they uh, they played that uh, joke in The Simpsons when they're uh, the B sharps. Yes, they did. Yeah, they did. They did that. Um, <laughs> I kind of remember that. You remember that one? Yeah, okay. kind of. If you don't watch The Simpsons, <clears throat> you have no idea what the hell I'm talking about. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but. But he had also started to kind of question Norman Petty's bookkeeping. He mm. felt that he wasn't getting paid. And since his wife had also worked in the music industry, I think she was kind of like, wait a minute, you're not getting the money that you should be getting from all this touring and from the records. Wow. Um, and the rest of the crickets were also kind of having a problem with Norman Petty because he controlled all the proceeds, too. So oh. I think they basically had to go ask him when they wanted money. Oh, I don't like. Yeah, no. Yeah, that's yeah. not how that should work. Uh, Buddy ended his association with Norman Petty in December of 1958, but the Crickets kept him as their manager. I'm not really sure why, and so Buddy split with the Crickets at that time. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. I wonder if uh, there is some kind of weird under-the-table contract with the Crickets. It could be. Could but who be. knows? Or I mean, maybe he was making promises to them. Maybe. That, you know, well, I'll make you big stars, too. Yeah, you he's, know. A, he's a worm tongue. Yeah, could be. Um, Petty was still holding the money from all the royalties, so Buddy had to get a new band and start touring just to make ends meet, just to have the money. Yeah. So, and there was this promoter named Irvin Feld, who was kind of wanting to become Buddy's new manager, and he was putting together a tour called the Winter Dance Party. Cute name. Was it actually a dance party? No, I think it was just a series just of concerts. Concert. Okay, I just mm-hmm. wanted to know. But a, a lot of times they were in, um, at those times, you know, people didn't go into these huge arenas because they weren't around. Yeah. But they would go into what were called uh, dance ballrooms. Oh, okay. Um, so that's what this was. It's like a tour of all of these dance ballrooms around the Midwest area. Hey, that's cool. Yeah. It featured Buddy as the headliner and it had Richie Valens was on the bill Mm -hmm. um he had his two big hits were la bamba yeah which i'm sure most people have heard and a song called donna i think i've heard donna too but i'm trying to think and the big bopper was also on it whose big hit was chantilly lace yep i know i know him you know that one Mm -hmm. and dion and the belmonts were on it they were starting out though they were on the tour but they hadn't had a hit yet they had some pretty big hits later on okay um Buddy had a new band with Waylon Jennings on bass, and it's the Waylon Jennings that went on to be a country That's music, what I was going to ask. You know. Same dude. Su- superstar, yeah. Cool. And uh, Tommy Alsup was back on guitar, and a guy named Carl Bunch was on drums. Bunch is a cool name. Yeah. Bunches of bunch. Bunches of drums. Bunches of drums. Yeah. Uh, the Winter Dance Party began in Milwaukee, Wisconsin on January 23rd, 1959. And I, they don't, I don't know who planned this tour because it was a mess from the get-go. Um, they, the distances between the places they were going, it, it wasn't even considered. Like, 
so they would have one night in one place and then they'd have to go 400 miles to the next one it most tours they kind of look at where they where they're going to go and they kind of will go like in a circle or a a straight line across the country and this wasn't this just kind of zigzagged all over (laughs) the place It, it was really poorly poorly done oh that's so weird um it was also starting in january going through the midwest in wisconsin yeah, that's and called cold yes in these very very yeah, cold yeah, yeah. climates and snowy weather um they all traveled in it was either one or two buses um i'm not really sure i've seen both sighted so that, that it was one bus i've seen other things yeah. that said it was two buses but they were these very old school buses that doesn't sound good. No, and they had kind of been retrofitted to be a band bus. Yeah. But they broke down a lot. They barely... What a shock. <laughs> yeah, they barely had heat. The heaters kept breaking down constantly. Um, there was no road crew, so the acts themselves had to do all the loading and unloading. <laughs> that sucks. You know, every time they'd get on the bus, drive for 300 miles with no heat, and then have to unload, and then set up, play unload yeah i'm just get back in the bus yeah go another 200 300 400 miles yeah i'm just imagining like when you get so when your body is cold like you're out like your skin and stuff and then on the inside you're like freaking sweating because you're doing stuff oh absolutely absolutely or getting off stage and being just drenched in sweat and then immediately have to work outside yeah snowy snowy gross conditions yeah yeah that doesn't sound like a good time pretty pretty wretched um during the tour the big bopper and richie valens both got the flu what a shock and buddy's drummer carl bunch was hospitalized for frostbite to his toes oh my god yeah so he had to drop out yeah well i would hope so because you save your toes you know? yeah he had to drop out and they the other drummers they all kind of shared a little bit and uh, i think buddy even played drums for some of the other yeah, acts too that was, that was good 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 on them yeah yeah but yikes um, in addition to all of this, they would, they'd go on stage, they'd play usually two shows a night. Um, they'd get done, <laughs> they'd have their stage clothes, they'd be all sweaty and gross, and they would change into some street clothes, and they would take those dirty stage clothes and just toss them into the back of the bus. Oh, I bet it smelled great So after a couple of days, it smelled pretty gross. Yeah. And, and they're all guys. So yeah, you know, It probably doesn't smell all that great anymore. Well, yeah, and a lot of times they were playing in really small cities that didn't have a laundromat. Great. So they'd be like, okay, well, I have to wait till the next stop. Yeah, and it's snowing, so they can't, like, just hang stuff out the window exactly. and let it dry. Exactly. Great. Yeah, so basically they're, you know, Who creating a, a stage, stage clothes sweat monster in the back of the bus. <laughs> feed me yeah yeah and and they're sitting you know like i said in these old school bus benches and they're probably all freaking like i'm sure you went from hot to cold so fast Mm -hmm. that you're just like sweat just like yeah just icicled off of you yeah which sounds horrendous yeah is is pretty miserable yeah that sounds awful um by who who thought this was yeah I, I i don't know bad promotion yeah i was gonna say um by february 2nd buddy had decided to charter a plane because he wanted to get his band um from clear lake, clear lake iowa to moorhead minnesota they would actually go through fargo they'd actually because they couldn't land in moorhead they'd land in fargo and then they mm. were going to take a taxi from fargo to uh moorhead but if they if they did that 
he could get in town in time that he could get a hotel they could sleep for a couple hours in sure that heat was, that would be nice and also they would be in a town that had a laundromat so hey, they could wash their clothes their clothes monster. so that was a that was a big thing too well i'm sure like you know sleeping on a bus or just like in a cramped space is really uncomfortable on your joints and absolutely then standing up to like play absolutely and then all your crap around i'm sure that they were just like i just need to stretch out yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and you know, get get enough uh, rest to kind of give them the determination to get through the rest. Oh of yeah, the tour. this is pre Red Bull, so like yeah, yeah, you know, screw that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they found an airfield nearby and a twenty one year old pilot who was prepared to fly them to Fargo, and then they would take the taxi to Moorhead. Um, it was supposed to just be Buddy and his band. But Tommy Alsup agreed to flip a coin for the seat with Richie Valens. Mm -hmm. um, Richie Valens was a California boy I'm who'd shown up for this tour, like, just, uh, he was really young, too. In, in um, like, board shorts, I'm assuming. Well, he just, he had, like, a windbreaker. He didn't oh even have, God. like, a winter coat. No. Yeah, and then he got the flu. He was really having a miserable, miserable oh, that time. Oh, awful. So uh, Tommy Alsup agreed to flip a coin with him. And uh, it said when he won, he said that he reportedly said, this is the first time I've ever won anything in my life. Oh, no. And uh, Waylon Jennings sold his seat to J.P. Richardson, who had had the flu and was also complaining that the tour bus was too cold and uncomfortable for a man his size. J.P. Richardson was a really big guy. Was he like a, like a, just like a, a thick dude? Well, he was that, but he was also like... Uh, he was over six foot okay. and yeah he so was he just a bulky like, guy and like he's my boyfriend yeah, yeah. And had to shove himself into like school bus seats <laughs> i can't imagine yeah yeah that sucks and also like i said both of him and richie valens had had the flu too so they were oh, pretty I'm sure miserable they were probably just that sucks so bad yeah i'm just picturing uh my my dude named whose name is jordan hi babe uh i'm picturing my boyfriend jordan shoved into a very tiny seat with the flu and he would be absolutely miserable yeah and it's kind of a funny image but also i'd be like oh no yeah so they they were both desperate to get on I'm the plane sure. too um it was dark and snowy they were they were flying out after the show and the pilot whose name was roger peterson he either he didn't get a re the weather report or he was just excited because of who he was getting mm. to fly and so I mean, he, you also said he was 21, which is... And he was 21, young. making some dumb decisions. Young. And so he took off even though he wasn't certified to fly by instrument only. And because of the weather and because it was snowy, you couldn't see. You, you yeah. had to rely on your instrument. So if you're not certified to fly by instrument only, you're going to be in trouble. That's not good. Yeah. The owner of the flight company had watched the plane take off. And then as he was watching, he thought he saw the taillights descend, but he couldn't you know it was, like i said it was snowy couldn't yeah. really see and he's trying to make contact but he couldn't make a contact um with the plane but he couldn't send out a search party because the weather, the weather was, so was so bad, bad. so they didn't send out a search plane until the next day mm. um but what had happened was shortly after 12:55 a.m on february 3rd 1959 buddy holly richie valens um jp richardson who's the big bopper and the pilot had been killed instantly when the aircraft crashed into the frozen cornfield about five miles northwest of mason city iowa Ugh. um that was right pretty much right after takeoff yeah the three musicians were all ejected from the fuselage upon impact and suffered severe head and chest injuries and died pretty quick yeah 
That's so, that's so scary. How old was Buddy Holly? Do you know? I don't know. I didn't. I didn't write that down. I don't think he was terribly old. Um, let me see. That was in '59. So I'm horrendously bad at math. I'm sorry. Or else I would try to help. And he was born in '36, so that made him 23 years old. Ooh, yeah. that is very young. Yeah, that's younger than me. Very young. I don't like that. Um. But I, one of the reasons that I wanted to do this episode in particular was because not only do I love Buddy Holly's music, but Buddy Holly truly was one of the most influential artists. Mm -hmm. um, even though he had such a short recording period, uh, it, there's, he, there's so many people at the time that heard him or saw him on TV or got to see him in show that then were like, I can do this too. Because he, he, looked, he would look like an average guy and he's just playing the guitar. He's not doing anything like dancing spectacularly yeah. or doing anything that looks he's out not, of yeah, reach. He's not doing like flips and shit. I don't know. I, nobody was probably doing flips, but you know. No, but I mean, you know, you might see Chuck Berry and you'd be like, well, I can't dance like right. that. Or Elvis. And you're like, well, I don't look like that. Yeah, I mean, Elvis, just a gorgeous man. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, so well, Buddy Holly's kind of every man. Yeah, kinda, he was. He was. He looked like the guy that you might see, you know working at the gas station yeah. or you know at the bank he just had a very average look um john lennon got to see buddy on when he appeared at saturday night at the london palladium in 1958 and john lennon was very very influenced by buddy holly he um when he was looking for a name for his band yep. he thought of the crickets and was like i'm gonna do an insect name too yep. so he said well let's do the beatles but then in in England at the time, the beat movement was a big deal. The B-E-A-T movement was a big deal. So he changed it to B-E-A-T-L-E-S instead oh, okay. of B-E-E-T-L-E-S. I didn't realize that that was because of the beat movement. I always just assumed it was because musical beats. You yeah, know? Well, yeah, and that is what the beat okay. movement is. So, I yeah. don't. Do I know much about movements? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> um. So Mick Jagger saw Buddy on tour in London in 1958, and the Rolling Stones' really first big hit was a cover of Not Fade Away. Mm -hmm. uh, John Fogarty had had the record of the Chirping Crickets when he was 13 years old and went, Aww. I can do that. I can form a band. And That's he, very cute. you know, later formed Creedence Clearwater Revival. That's very cute. Um, I... Bob Dylan saw one of the last concerts too, like apparently just a couple of days before the accident. Wow! Um, and and he had said something about he thought he looked like he had a halo around him. Oh! I thought Buddy had a halo around him. Um, you can hear in Buddy's singing style with all of those hiccups and stuff. It mm -hmm. was an influence on Michael Jackson's style. Yeah, yeah. His uh, that nerd rock look with the horn rim glasses was completely copied by elvis costello if you take a oh yeah I you, know. you look at elvis's first album it he looks exactly, he looks exactly like body like. exactly um, so does reverse cuomo of reverse cuomo fame <laughs> sorry you can't throw things at me and expect my brain to catch up Rachel. you know who reverse cuomo I know is, who he is. But he looks a lot like Buddy Holly. He does. He's got the similar glasses, similar nerdy physique. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. I just thought that was 
fun information for anybody who's uh, closer to my age and maybe doesn't oh, yeah. listen to Elvis and, Costello. And yes, <laughs> well, and and the other thing is, is you know, more people when they hear the name Buddy Holly, they probably think of the Weezer song anyway. Yeah, exactly. So. But I'm just saying it. He does look like Buddy Holly, yes. as well as yes, uh, you know, making a very fun song. Yes, and fabulous video. That video is great. Love if you've video. never seen that video, you should definitely just watch it because it's great. It's yes. really fun. Uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame included Buddy Holly in its the very first class of inductees in 1986. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know he was like. Yep, very first first group. Cool. Very first group. Um, upon his entry, the Hall of Fame remarked that uh, the large quantity of material he produced during his short musical career and said that it made a major and lasting impact on popular music. They called him an innovator for writing his own material, his experimentation with double tracking and use of orchestration. He is also said to have pioneered and popularized the now standard use of two guitars, bass, and drums by rock bands. Wow. Yeah. And good for him. Yeah. That was like That's a really standard cool. setup. Yeah, that's really cool. I wonder, it, it makes you wonder, especially when people pass away so young, you know, God, what would they have done later? Absolutely. You know? And he was apparently in talks of possibly doing some acting, which, you know, all actors want to be musicians and all mm, musicians want to be, be actors. actors. Yeah, it's <laughs> um, the, old, the old adage. Yes. And there was a couple of different musical artists, uh, I think some R&B artists that he was talking about collaborating with. Yeah. So it is interesting to think, you know, especially if you look at like every single song that he put out was a hit that what could he have done in the future? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Especially since he seemed very experimental and be cool with trying out some different tracking and he wanted to produce his own stuff. And it just makes you wonder, you know. Yes. <clears throat> and his songs always cross over from yeah. the, you know, pop charts to the R&B charts. Yeah, exactly. Um. The Songwriters Hall of Fame also inducted him in 1986 and said that his contributions changed the face of rock and roll. Oh, for sure. Um, in 1971, Don McLean wrote a song called American Pie that was inspired by Buddy Holly's death and the day of the plane crash. I didn't know that that's what American Pie was it, about. It is and it isn't. Okay. No, the lyrics uh, reference a whole lot of things that have nothing to do with yeah, Buddy Holly. that's what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the lyrics are kind of, and Don McLean has even talked about it because he's always been asked over the years, and he was, he's kind of been like, you know, the lyrics are just what they are. They're, you know, he's kind of hippy dippy. The yeah, 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 imagery and whatever. But the the he initial just likes some flowery language. Yeah, yeah. But when he the the things that he talks about, uh, something he there's a line in it about newspapers, and Don McLean was like 13 years old when it happened, oh, yeah, I'm sure. and was also delivering newspapers, which is how he found it, had I'm heard sure. the news yeah. that Buddy had died. And the in the line that says something about the day the music died, that has kind of become yeah known for the crash. If they say the day the music died, it's they're pretty much referring to that crash. What did uh what did Buddy's poor wife? do afterwards um there i've heard different reports that said that she was pregnant at the time and had a miscarriage mm. um when the accident ha <clears throat> excuse me when the accident happened i know that there's a uh a buddy holly museum that she was um helped in in getting founded was instrumental in that i believe she remarried okay i was just wondering yeah because yeah. they seem so you know i mean fast yes but they were and they were very young yeah too. yeah but you know just curious yeah yeah but yeah I'm, I'm pretty sure she was involved i know that they found his glasses 
Oh, wow. And um, did return them to her, and I believe that she gave them to the, the Hall museum. of Fame. Or the Hall of Fame. Or museum. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. Um, our Spotify pop playlist has <laughs> sorry <laughs> no, <it's okay. laughs> set, has all of Buddy's you know biggest hits, and then I've also included a lot of these covers. Yeah. So that you know you can kind of hear some of the influence along the line, and I included American Pie in there too. Right. I mean, it's got some. It's a good song anyway, but you know, maybe you could parse out some more lines from it that you can connect to Buddy Holly. Yeah. I mean, there's lines in there that kind of sound like they're talking about. Uh, Mick Jagger and yeah. just other people. There's it's it's a pretty it's all lyrically, over the place. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> lyrically crazy song. So um, that pretty much concludes what I have to say about yeah. Buddy Holly. Well, I mean, it's fast life, you know. Twenty three, Jesus. Yeah, that's that's really that's really young. It, it's yeah, it's it's crazy to have somebody that has that much talent at such a young age oh an influence an influence it, it, yeah because i mean how long had he really been performing it could have been that long let's say he performed at 18 and then yeah passed at 23 yeah it was it was short very, very short, short very short very scary yeah yeah Just don't get in sketchy planes i guess is that the story the... that's well that's definitely <laughs> something that i would recommend yeah you know, don't don't fly with pilots that aren't completely certified yeah although do you ask your pilot before you get on the plane well on a commercial flight okay then yeah i know i'm pretty confident that they're <laughs> certification just thinking i don't know i don't think i've ever asked a pilot like oh are you fully sports certified yeah. well and that's kind of the thing they said that happened with jfk jr was mm. that he wasn't certified to fly by instrument alone and the night that they that he flew um that he was flying it was very very foggy and yeah and you couldn't see couldn't see mm -hmm. hmm. well if you're planning on becoming a pilot maybe go ahead and get both licenses well you do it's it's usually like a several step process oh it's not that he wasn't I see. It, it was that you first you get certified on visual and I then you see. do more training and take more tests to become certified by instrument never mind then so so what i'm learning is i'm not gonna become a pilot <laughs> Well, that wasn't in the cards for me already. It's okay. Yeah, I don't think that's a new. I don't think that's anything new. Are you kidding? My eyesight is horrendous. If anything happened to my glasses, the plane would instantly go down. <laughs> okay. Well, just keeping it real. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Okay. So um, thanks to Billy Zen for our theme song, Don't I Know You. It's copyright 2016. And thanks to Rachel Karn for our logo. You're welcome. Thank you, Rachel. You're welcome. I would do it again That's if good. we need another logo. Okay. Um, th don't forget we have an Instagram, it's Tales from the Rockside, and we are now up on iTunes. Yay! Yay, iTunes. So, we also have Facebook, same thing. Tales yes. From the and and uh, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. It would certainly be an enormous enormous help to us and this is still a new podcast so some constructive criticism always welcome absolutely more than welcome leave it on itunes leave it on the instagram leave it on the facebook i don't care absolutely we just like criticism constructive please and we're obviously this isn't a podcast being made by two professional comedians hey. or people that have been in the <laughs> the industry as they say this is very very homemade yes. so any 
tips that can help and any suggestions for future episodes we definitely would take yeah do you want that keytar episode let us know mom might not want to do it but i think it's funny <laughs> okay yeah we'll get right on that yeah in 10 12 years or so um hey don't make fun <laughs> um but yeah we are definitely not professionals i'm not a professional at anything yeah and uh you're not a professional at this i would say I don't, I don't know that I'm actually considered a professional at anything. Anyways. Really? All right. I wasn't sure. I don't know. I mean, who knows? Anyway. I just wasn't sure. <laughs> anyway, um, our next episode is going to be on the early days of Motown. So tune in for that one. It should be a lot of fun. Yep. should be a really good playlist. And we're skipping Elvis for now just because that's going to be a big task. Yeah. And this isn't a linear in any way. No. I mean, after the Motown one, who knows? You know, we could do... We could do keytars. <laughs> we could do the keytar. We could we could jump on the keytar episode. I think that's funny. <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> that's the constructive criticism of this episode. That's not funny, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks for listening, and hey, kids, you boogie too, did ya? Rock on.